0: I mentioned it not that long ago that we did in the the book we did in on Colossians in our small group had a chapter on prayer and that I had found it very very interesting and uh, it wasn't something that like it was a new thought but the way he wrote it kind of challenged me into what I was not what I was praying for but how I was praying for it if that makes sense Paul Paul includes prayers in, in every one of his letters and I always find them interesting I'm going to talk about this a couple years ago at one of our Sunday night prayer meetings, which is tonight, by the way. Um, To me, one of the most fascinating prayers that he includes in any of his letters is at the end of Ephesians, uh, right after the the fruit of the Spirit and the spiritual battles, he asks, he starts in verse 19 of Ephesians 6. He says, and pray on my behalf, that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel is there anything in any of paul's letters or anything that's written about him in acts that makes you think he's timid there isn't to me i mean he he seems to be a very bold person a very a person that is so sure of his faith that he is, he's he's going to live doing it until he's killed for it Jesus comes back and that when it comes to truth and calling people out on their sin and calling people out on their bad theology that he never lacks for boldness Uh, one of my favorite passages in the New Testament at least in the book of Acts is his uh, the speech he gives on Mars Hill when he sees the, the statue to the unknown God that he comes up with this philosophical argument for his God and he many scoffed at him but he did draw the interest of some. he was bold and he was smart and he was constantly speaking out for the Lord and sharing the gospel and I just always took encouragement from that that if we see Paul doing those things but that he is asking for prayer for boldness where did that boldness come from that came from God. That, I mean, we all have different personalities. He may have been a very outgoing person that lacked some of the social fears that other do, but the, the truth of the, of his witness was that that boldness came from God because he asks for it in prayer. And I just always thought that was neat. There's a lot of neat things in his prayers, but we're going to look at, at some in Colossians today. I want to read some from... This chapter, I just thought there were some interesting things on on prayer in here. And I won't read all of it, but he starts out the chapter with several pages talking about so many of the things that we either pray for or we get stuck in ruts praying for. He includes a story of a pastor that was near the end of his sermon and must have been putting himself to sleep, and he finished a normal sentence and he said, In Jesus' name we pray, Amen. And then he kind of shook himself awake. Like These things sort of just become rote in, in what we're saying. And uh, I think there's a call for it to be more than that. Including another story that made me laugh. He said, there was a man who didn't like to pray before mealtimes. He thought it was a ridiculous waste of time. One day as he exited the grocery store, he had a bright idea. When he got his groceries in the car, he bowed his head and prayed said lord bless all this food to the future nourishment of my body amen now with all the food blessed in advance praying before mealtime would be an unneeded practice reminding me of have you ever seen the comedian john christ but he goes through the chick-fil-a drive-through and when he's at the window ordering he orders his chicken sandwich and then he asks through the microphone he says now has this food been (laughs) pre-blessed The poor girl on the other side of the microphone says, excuse me? He goes, did you pray for it in there? Do I have to pray for it in my car? (laughs) Uh, But anyways, he goes on. He says, throughout my life, I've seen the same thing year after year. He's talking about uh, prayer meetings at his church. So when the floor is open, the same kind of requests tumble forward. Uh, Julie has the flu. Pray that God will bring healing. Jack is on a work trip. Pray that he'll have travel mercies. Julie still has the flu. Pray extra hard. God will bring healing. Jill is in an abusive relationship. Pray that God place a hedge of protection around her. So he says, so I'd like to ask you this question. If an outsider had to analyze a hundred of our prayers and then was asked, why do Christians pray? What would be his answer? I'm convinced that it would be this. Christians pray to get an easy escape from their troubles. That's what most of our prayer requests are about. It may sound good on the surface, but it has—it can have damaging results. So there was a set of parents who had a baby born with a birth defect. The child grew and learned to cope with it, though it did affect the child's life in some negative ways. When others at their church learned of the congenital disability, they began to encourage the parents to pray God to heal the child. They pressured the parents with lines like, if you have enough faith and pray hard enough, God will heal your baby. They took this advice to heart and fought hard in prayer to get their beloved child well. No matter how hard they tried, God did not answer that prayer. They grew disheartened and left the church altogether. The problem was that they didn't have enough faith, the problem was that their church taught the primary purpose of prayer was to escape life's troubles. He goes on and tells another similar story about a different situation he says do these failures get answers from God that demonstrate that God doesn't exist uh, Which as we see in the first couple they left the church and the second story tells the person became an atheist and he says no what they show is the danger of praying in the wrong way both the stories above are about victims of lousy teaching concerning prayer they're victims because they heard they could use prayer to escape from life's troubles. And when it didn't happen, they were left disillusioned, and it destroyed their faith. Believing that prayer's primary purpose is to escape trouble is a damaging idea. It says that we prove what our primary prayer purpose is by what we pray for. If our prayer time is dominated by requests to escape practical problems, then that's our priority. so then he brings out Paul's first prayer in Colossians. And in Colossians 1.10, Paul says, we'll start in 9. Uh, for this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to prayer for you and ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work. And increasing in the knowledge of God. It brings up the st- discussion, and we see Jesus talking about bearing fruit. That, that bearing fruit is a, a theme that is, is throughout the New Testament. What is bearing fruit? Doing good works. Yeah. I think you, know, you turn back a few pages again to Ephesians. that if, if bearing fruit is something that we are doing through God's power um, Jesus said in John 15 that he is the true vine his disciples were the branches that they had to abide in him if they were going to bear fruit um this is we understand that the, these good works aren't the things that we do on our on our own but the, the things that we do through the Holy Spirit um so in Ephesians, not Ephesians five, Galatians five. I got Ephesians on my brain because of the last verse, but um, but if, if the fruit of the spirit is love, Ephesians five twenty two. If the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness. Gentleness, self-control, against such thing there is no law. What happens when we treat other people in those ways that only God can provide in our life? Sometimes they follow. I would dare to say we have an effect on people's lives in one way or another when we are treating them in a way that, that is selfless and, and loving. Yeah, very much so. A few verses earlier in verse 17 there of, of Galatians 5, he says, For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, for these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. The, the, what he's painting a picture of there is that there is a war inside of us. And what I always like to talk about, when there is a war, if one side is winning battle after battle after battle, What's happening to the armies? The one that's losing is getting smaller. (laughs) That if we allow the flesh to, the fleshly desires to control us, then we are grieving or quenching the Holy Spirit, and those pangs of guilt and the other things that the Spirit uses to guide us back into truth become dull within our, our hearts. But if we are Are walking in submission to Him and allowing these things to come out of us. You know, the second one, there joy. This whole world is chasing happiness. Do what makes you happy. The fact that we can be selfless and have real joy in our lives, it makes us want to do more. We see the beauty of what God has for us and the beauty of who He is, as opposed to the hopelessness of our own desires. And so we become more and more like Jesus Christ through the power that he gives us to do that. And it's all through submission to him. But in doing these things in giving that kind of love, in in displaying that kind of joy, having real peace in a world that is falling apart, able to be patient with other people, showing goodness, doing good things for people, being faithful to what we've been taught, being gentle and not seeking out for ourselves not having self-control those things change lives around us too Uh, i think that can be probably most evident within your own family if if you were treating your spouse the way you want to be treated it should affect the way your spouse treats you you know the, the biggest problem with marriage is it's a union of two sinners and the the heart of sin is pride and selfishness and so it will constantly be a budding of the heads if it is we're both going after what we want but if we start giving the other person what they want without any hope of being paid back then it will change their heart too and so i think that that when we look at bearing fruit that yes i mean i think good works is is the most overt way of of putting it, because we're able to do things through God that benefit other people, but just the way we live our lives should benefit other people, and being a model of who Jesus Christ is, um, and again, that starts within the church, if Jesus said three times during the Upper Room Discourse in John that his new commandment was that they love one another, that the world would know they were his followers by their love for each other, then we should examining how we treat and love each other because this is our showing Christ to the world if we're bickering just like the world does then why would anyone else want to come but I just think it's interesting here in this I don't know, that bearing fruit that Paul's prayer for them in verse 10 so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord and very similar to what he says in Ephesians 4 1 that is within the church and the, the way they treat each other he goes on to talk about the unity they have in the church here I think it's more of a general thing that starts in the church but the way we live our lives to please him in all respects but then the outcome of that the end of the verse is bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God um, and here he talks about he does talk about bearing fruit some and he said it's a, it's a godly mindset plus godly action I think that's a, a good way to look at it that we are focused on the right things we're focused on the things that do please God but we don't just know them and think about them that we act on them uh, in our lives and the way we treat other people and that that is, is bearing fruit and that's what Paul's prayer was here for the Colossians he started that out saying that he gives thanks for them Uh, he he goes through a lot of things here that he has to be to be thankful from what he's heard about their faith in verse 4 the love which you have for all the saints in verse 5 because of the hope laid up for you in heaven verse 6 they are bearing fruit which has come to you just as in all the world also it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing even it has been doing in you since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of truth in verse 7 their faithfulness just as you learned it from Epaphras our beloved fellow bondservant who was a faithful servant in Christ on our behalf in verse 80 also informed us of your love in the spirit that they have these good things that are going on there and so he is grateful for this church he's able to thank God for them we've seen that in Thessalonians we're going to see it again today it's an interesting transition we're going to look at today that, that Paul has been talking about these things that are to come and that uh, he spends several verses talking about the lawlessness and the great turning away from God because the people take their joy from lawlessness and in opposition to that he gives thanks for them because they are, are faithful to God it's interesting. He is, he is faithful or he's thankful for them. He lists the reasons why. And then as, as he prays for them again, then he concludes it with this with this bearing fruit. And so when, when we went through this, it led to some interesting discussions in our small group. But you know, the the lists there that, that he provided at the beginning, none of those things are wrong to pray for. When I'm sick, I pray that God will heal me. When our baby's sick, I pray that he'll heal me, heal the baby so that my wife and I can get some sleep. Um, But in what heart am I doing that, I think is where the problem comes from. And that was what he was trying to say with what you pray for most shows your priority. Because if I'm praying for to be well or for something to happen in my life that yes will in fact make my life easier am i praying for it because i want my life to be easier or am i praying for it because hey you know if i can get over this cold it'll be a lot easier to serve you man it's hard to prepare a sermon when i can't think straight because my sinuses are or making my head feel like it's going to explode or i'm not sleeping because of the baby or You know whatever you know other things in our lives that can stress us and take our focus away from god that god i know you can do these things if you do them you know but at the same time as we pray for them the humility of saying but if not help me to bear fruit through it give me the strength i need to bear fruit with whatever is going but I want my life to be about walking in a manner worthy of my calling. What is my calling? As Peter says in First Peter, I was bought with a price. The precious blood of Jesus Christ it is not gold or silver that is paid for my eternal assurance. God loved me. He sent his son for me. His son died on a cross, willingly shed his blood for me so that I could spend eternity with him through belief in his son. And that that should set us to the point where we want to walk in a manner worthy of that, which is a manner that pleases God in all that we do in all respects here as it says in the NASB, and bearing fruit. Um, does that make sense? That it it isn't so much about what we're praying for but the heart in which we're praying for it. That uh, that our God is the great physician. He can heal miraculously. Um, But he can also bring glory to himself through sickness. One of my favorite things about John 11, Jesus says to his disciples that the beginning of the chapter, and something I've used before, and there are different things you can bring out of, of that, that passage in a funeral setting, and I did a funeral once for a, a young person that had died unexpectedly, and, and her husband was, was devastated, and was trying to see, well, how is this God's plan, and I couldn't tell him. You know, at the beginning of that chapter, Jesus says, you know, that he gets word that Lazarus, his beloved friend, is sick, and he stays where he's at for two days. I tell people, you know, like if I had a, my profession wasn't one that anyone ever wanted to talk to me, but if I knew someone that had lost someone, that I wasn't in their area to be able to take care of the funeral, I would always call and say, do you have any questions? You know, when you go in to make arrangements, make sure you ask about this. I would do anything that I could to, to give comfort and knowledge to my friends. Jesus could heal anyone. He didn't even have to go to Bethany to see Lazarus. He could have healed him from there. But yet, as an outward display of God's will and walking in it, he stayed where he was at for two days, and then he goes, and he tells them that Lazarus is sleeping. And the disciples didn't want to go anywhere near there because they thought jesus was going to get killed if he went they uh, said so, oh good he's, if he's sleeping he's going to get better and jesus says no he's dead and i'm glad he died so that you might believe when well, john the disciples had professed their faith in christ as their messiah back in john 2 this was an eternal life belief what was it jesus knew he was going to be crucified soon and he wanted to their faith as much as he could in the the time he had left before he was going to the cross before he would soon then after ascend into heaven and leave this ministry in the hands of the eleven who would remain faithful Um, and so we having that in mind as we face trials in life that we're not always going to understand why we're walking through it or even the outcome of it you know Lazarus we don't always get to see how God is glorified. In John 11, I mean, you get to see it. Lazarus comes hopping out of the grave, still tied up in grave clothes. But it was into a body that was going to die again. I mean, that this was a temporary solution. Um, but and yet it showed who God is and who Jesus was as his son. As he prays at the graveside, and he says, God, I don't even need to ask you this, but I'm asking for the benefit of the people around me. He wanted to bring... Faith to to those that were there and to those who had already believed in him he wanted to strengthen their face, faith by seeing his power in raising Lazarus from the dead I think because of our limited scope because God is so much greater than we are and we cannot fathom his plans uh, it does come to a matter of walking in faith and believing that, that his plans are good and that uh, we can trust in him because he is good that that to me is the heart of prayer Um, that you know when Jesus says in the the model prayer in the Lord's prayer that not my will be not my will but your will be done that whatever we're asking for that needs to be not just something we tack on but the true heart of what is coming from in us and that is submission to God and his plans Um, we, we do pray for all things we do it in that heart and we do it so that uh, he will continue to strengthen us to live for him yeah again in the model prayer and Jesus starts it out our father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name that we are to start out with clear reverence for God and who he is and that should change our heart um, to come into the presence of I know I've used it as a sermon illustration before but um, what, it's been five, five years ago now my dad took us on a cruise in the Baltic Sea, and we stopped in St. Petersburg, Russia, and we got to go to the Hermitage, and we're there, we're walking through this really crowded room, and I've got my dad, who I'm trying to keep an eye on, Erica's parents were trying to drag through children, I guess it was just Kayla and Julia, and Caroline at that point, but, you know, it's crowded, we're, we're following this guide through, and like, we're going to this room, and it's just packed and I don't like feeling people on all sides of me, you know, I wasn't to the point of hyperventilating yet, but I'm trying to keep my wits about me and hold on to everyone. Our tour guide points over and he goes, oh, that's a painting by Leonardo da Vinci. I love art, I love art history. I remember I had to get on my tiptoes to see it, but I remember just standing there, just entranced by this picture. And it was the Madonna and Child, I don't what the actual name of it was but it was just a beautiful painting i always say that you know my viewing that painting change anything about the painting but to this day every time i tell that story the little hairs on the back of my neck stand up that's how our praise for god should be it doesn't he is worthy of it but it doesn't change who he is it changes us when we do and, and prayer is a huge part of that that it should be done through our actions throughout the day, but having our prayers be done in the right way—it does—it does start with that sort of, of knowing that.